Hello, beautiful people. Bethesda Play in a Day is coming up, and I'm very pleased to say that I am writing and directing again for Adventure Theater MTC. February 17th at Imagination Stage in downtown Bethesda, six professional D.C. area theater companies will write, direct, stage, and perform original 10-minute plays in 24 hours. Last year, we won Best Cast, and the year before, we won... Hang on, let me just take a look at my papers here. Best Cast! This year in the cast, we have Megan Tuohy from last year, podcast favorite Carrie Ginsburg, and Michelle Pallera, about whom I have some exciting news to share with you soon what you call a teaser. Tickets and performance information available at Bethesda.org slash Bethesda slash play dash day. I'll put a link in the description. I should note that although the performance is at a family theater and I am writing directing for a family theater, these are not necessarily family-friendly shows. Again, Bethesda playing today, February 17th, Imagination Stage, me, writing, directing, link in the description. Before we get started, I need to thank some more Patreon patrons. Thank you, Amy Chaplin. I don't know Amy personally, but she's supporting some wonderful projects on Patreon, and I am thrilled she counts us worthy of her support. Thanks, Amy. Thank you, Robin Kelly. Robin has supported many of my projects through the years. Thanks, Robin. You're all amazing. Thanks to your patronage, I now have access to better analytics about the show, and so I would like to say hello to our British listeners in Yorkshire and the Humber, our Swedish listeners in Orboro, and our Saudi Arabian listeners in Ayre Riyadh. Write in and let me know how I mispronounced what I just said. Want to get thanked on this podcast? Just go to patreon.com slash originalcastpod and give your I'm Spartacus to the original cast. There are a few tiers of patronage, but they all come with access to our bonus monthly podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. Our pilot episode on Moulin Rouge is available on this feed so you can sample before you buy. February's movie is Disney's 1991 Beauty and the Beast with Natalie Ann Pigari and Amanda Zeitler. It's going to be a thing. Again, patreon.com slash originalcastpod. All right, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is the artistic director at the Santa Fe Playhouse in Santa Fe, New Mexico. It's Vaughn Irving, everybody. Hi, everybody. How you doing, Vaughn? I'm doing great. How are doing you? Great. You are in tech. And thank you for coming down. Here. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> in not like right now. I didn't pull him out of tech to get him down here. No. But, Last uh, night and then again tonight and yeah. Opening a show on Saturday. Right. Which we will definitely talk about All right. uh, for promotional purposes. Oh obviously. great. Yes, I would go. But you're here to talk about Striking Twelve, the Groove Lily musical. It's coming down and This is another in our series of Zeitlers. I've never heard of this show. 
Um, how did Striking 12 come into your, your sphere? Striking 12 came to me from uh, uh, Steve Shabilsky. Uh, Steve oh. is, do you know Steve? I do, through, uh, through Flying V and... Uh, from you or whatever I can get. Um, well, Steve and I go way back. Steve, uh, I met Steve at Wayside Theater back in 2006 uh, when I was an intern out there. Um, and I was hired in to do a bunch of shows, but uh, one of which was the Buddy Holly story because I'm a drummer. Ah, and so Steve gave me the soundtrack of Striking Twelve um, because there aren't a lot of actor drummer roles. That's true. Out there, that's um, true. And uh, so when one comes across, uh, I tend to uh, to gravitate toward those shows. Yeah, this has a good part for a for an actor drummer. Yeah, well, yeah. It. It's not a. I, I will say it's not a traditional musical, though it is a musical. Uh, very much so, and nominated for uh, Lortel Award mm-hmm. when, when it was came out in two thousand five. Um, but it, was was funny about it was when I listened to it, I was expecting a kind of. Do you know Hades Town? I don't. Hades Town's an Anais Mitchell musical. Okay, and there's a sort of similar, what I thought was similar, concept slash cast album, which is a live performance recording, where it's kind of somewhere in between a rock mm-hmm. concert and a, and a show. But this is very much, much more in the concert. Vain, but there is a distinctive story being presented by yeah. these three performers in well, the band. One of the things I really dig about it is it sort of exists on three planes. There's the band playing on stage who is doing direct address to the audience and playing themselves. Right. You know, that we have Gene and Brendan and Val right. all on stage talking to the audience. But then you take a step down into the story where you have this narrative that takes place in New York on uh, New Year's Eve, and then you take another step down where you go into The Little Match Girl by Hans Christian Andersen, and they sort of switch between these levels sort of willy-nilly, where oh, yeah. all of a sudden you're you're deep into The Little Match Girl story, and you break out so the band can talk to you for a second, right. or so that you know the drummer can make some meta joke about right. what's going on <laughs> in the moment give the drummer some loving yeah. so to speak um but so for people that's a good segue into so uh for most people probably don't know uh, or at least i didn't uh can you tell the story of striking 12 real fast yeah so the story is uh there's a man in new york uh who's depressed it's new year's he doesn't want to go out because he's gone through uh breakup or divorce i think Break up with his fiance. Fiance, so yeah. Somewhere, somewhere be- in between. Somewhere between a breakup and a divorce. <laughs> and uh, and he's you know sitting at home depressed. Uh, this woman comes to the door who is selling full spectrum holiday light bulbs yes. that are supposed to pull you out of your funk. Right. And he doesn't uh, he doesn't want to buy any light bulbs, right. but he's reminded of. This Hans Christian Andersen story, The Little Match Girl, and so he goes back to the book and he reads The Little Match Girl, and we enter each, we enter that narrative story sort of in a, I don't know, there's not well, a lot kind of, of tech direct. happening. Yeah, so it's, it, it, it's yeah, we hear the story. Of the little the match characters, girl. the band members who are playing the people in New York, also right. then become the characters in The Little Match Girl, and uh, and there's parallels, of course, between this man in New York's life and the story of the little match girl. But there's also this very self-aware narrator reading the little match girl who goes, this Just, story is disturbing. Right. Those parallels are not hidden. I mean, they're very, right. No, very it is self-aware. Surface. Yeah. Yeah. In a very, yeah, very directly say, Oh, this reminds me of the little match girl. Let's read the little match girl. Um, and yeah, there are some excellent moments of meta humor down to the part where I love the moment where our main character gets a phone call from a party 
that he's been invited to that he's not going to. Mm-hmm. And the host says, oh, I've read that book. Let me just tell you how it ends. <laughs> right. You can just come to the party. And he goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, Don't tell me how it ends. I want to read it myself. And it's just really like, it's a fun little moment of like, oh, this show could be over right now. It's like, no, 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 no. We can't, we <laughs> we can't do that. It. We have to do a show here. We've got a time period. Um, yeah, and it is this band. I mean, it's three-piece band, Groove Lily, on yeah. stage, live doing this show. And they have since written a full cast version yeah, of this show. Yeah, you can license it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I think there's something more charming about the three people playing the instruments mm-hmm. and becoming the whole story. It's it's storytelling. It's a concert. It's theater all simultaneously. All kind of together. Yeah. yeah. It's a great way to spend New Year's, I'd imagine, too, which is one of the worst holidays, I think. I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm sure people love New Year's. I I don't. Uh, well, it seems so artificial, right? Let's all <laughs> hope that next year is going to be better than last. You know, every right. year it's the and screw I you, 2017. Right. You know, like every year it's the year before it was terrible, and the next right, year's going to be year's great. Gonna be great. I, don't, um, I don't. Once I got over the the novelty of staying up till midnight, yeah, when I was 11, you know, like <laughs> or 12. Let's say, you know, let's be generous, 12. Uh, it kind of loses its luster for me a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, I've never been to to Times Square. I've been to New York on New Year's, but never to Times Square. I mean, I can't imagine going I, to Times Square. No, uh, that doesn't sound like fun I to know. me. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of pressure uh, on New Year's to yeah. to do something, right. and uh, and then to like a lot, and have, to have an awesome time <laughs> that night, and then right. change your life forever, forever the next day. Uh, yeah, it's just very artificial. Yeah. And that's kind of where this show lives. I mean, that's sort of the not the message of the show, but that's sort of the, the where the show begins is this character having no fun on New Year's and right. having these ethereal sort of thoughts about New Year's, and then getting entered into this real life. Does the Match Girl takes place on New Year's Eve? Is that also correct? You know, I I think I, so. It's not overtly. There is a vision in it of a Christmas tree, but it is right. not like an overtly Christmas story. Christmas story. Yeah, it's New Year's Eve. Um, so this is all very connected uh, to this rather... Dis- it's just such a funny little thing. Like, how many stories do we know that take place from that time period on New Year's Eve? Right. It's it's a very specific... Yeah. We should probably also thing. tell people the story of the little magic Oh, I guess so. I guess. That yeah. just occurred to me. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a very basic story. It's Hans Christian Andersen. Really and uh, he, uh, you know, as they say in the show, screwed up people make great art. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hans Christian Andersen, there's a little girl sitting on the street trying to sell a matches to uh, to take the money home to her abusive parents, yes. essentially, <laughs> yes. and uh, <laughs> she doesn't want to go home, but and she hasn't because she hasn't sold any matches, and it's freezing cold, and uh, she sits down and starts to light the matches for warmth. Right, in a kind of O. Henry moment, she starts to, <laughs> to literally burn right. her inventory. <laughs> um... <laughs> But you know, there's this there's this magical element uh, that whenever she strikes a match, she has visions. She can see through the walls of the building. She sees the party with all the food, and um, and there's the, her her dead grandmother who was nice to her when her grandmother was alive, and her only nice relative, her I only nice relative, say. yes, <laughs> and. Uh, and she sees all the beautiful things at the party and all the, you know, beauty of the world, so to speak. Yep. And then she freezes to death on the street. <laughs> yes, she does. Um, I'm only laughing because much like the character in this 
story. And I'll play that clip now because it's fun. The ending is shocking <laughs> to yeah. me. Hello? I need to talk. Hey, great. Are you coming? I need to talk about the little match girl. Dude. <laughs> did you know? Did you know that she freezes to death in the snow? Of course. What do you mean, of course? That's how it ends. Oh, and I'm just supposed to accept it that she's going off to glory in the arms of her grandmother when it's been this whole degrading saga about how she was abused and neglected and did everything that she could to do to try to survive and then she just died? So, uh, are you coming to the party? <laughs> I mean, Hans Christian Andersen, for those of you, I'm sure everyone knows his name, but you may not know exactly what he wrote. Emperor's New Clothes, Little Mermaid, Snow Queen, which is Frozen, uh, The Ugly Duckling, Thumbelina. This is mm -hmm. a, one of the stories of his I knew pretty much by name only. only. Mm -hmm. um, and so in reading the summary of it, and I mean, you do kind of expect, as the main character of Striking 12 says, that like someone's got to come out and bring her to the party and adopt, adopt her, her and she'll be fine forever yep. and it's all good. And it's just, it's not that at all. She dies and she goes to heaven. I mean, we do get the sort of extended Christian ending right. where she dies and goes to heaven and is happy with her grandmother uh, but yeah, all the people on Earth just find this frozen body in the street on right. New Year's Day. <laughs> and Which I mean, Hans Christian Andersen stuff is dark. It's but back when yes. when sort of children's fiction was was message and, heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, and, and message heavy. Yes, yeah, yeah. Good point. Though I don't quite know what the message is of the Little Match Girl. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I at its worst, it, and this might just be where we're living now. The uh, the, the message to me seemed to be, don't worry about the poor, they're going to heaven. Like, that's sort of the worst. <laughs> if you find a dead, frozen, poor person, be cool, they're going to heaven. That's, I don't think I don't, the message. I can't I don't, imagine no. that that's what he was trying to say. I don't think so either, especially based on the rest of the stories he wrote. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, they have a whole song in the show, of course, about that Hans Christian Andersen was pretty messed up. Because screwed up people make great art. Imagination off the chart. People send us postcards from the world apart. He created a fantasy world and he got him some great reviews. Supernatural stories of snowmen and mermaids and magic shoes. But when his characters get what they want, there is often a rude surprise. Because Hans Christian Andersen looked at the world through really screwed up eyes. What's so interesting about the show to me is that if it didn't have these three levels to it, if it wasn't Little Match Girl and then this guy in the apartment and then the band, mm -hmm. this would be like the shortest show in the entire oh, world. Because yeah. Match Girl's very, very short. And even the story on top of it of the guy reading the Match Girl still isn't very long. But it's those band moments that make it a full yeah. evening of theater. So I imagine they must still exist in the licensed version. I don't know if you... They do. Well, so there's a there's two licensed versions. Oh, there's, okay. there is, you can license the band version, mm -hmm. um, which is what I actually did a few years back. Oh, uh, okay. Well, Wayside did. And so Steve Shabilsky and I, and an electric <laughs> violin player, uh -huh. did the show in the middle of August. Oh wow! Which was weird, like you do. Um, yeah. But uh, but so there, you can license the band version, which is essentially a three what piece. is on the recording. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's been changed a bit since right. then, because I think a lot of that is 
you know, banter between the three in the way that the three tend to banter. Yes, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, well, it certainly is scripted. I mean, it definitely, there's, it, yeah. it, it feels like it came out of natural exactly. conversations and sort of, it, this is the way three people who hang out with each other all the all time. The time. So, yeah, because yeah. uh, Val and, and Brendan were married, too. Oh, is that the violinist the, and the keyboardist? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and so uh, they clearly had a, a rapport. Yeah, yeah, certainly. You tend to develop that with your spouse. It would seem. And she seems to be the leader of the band, from yeah. what I, my um, research indicated. That's what I've gleaned from also, my research yeah. as well, it, is that she started the group. Yeah. And you know, and they've released albums and things as oh, well, yeah. and they've done music for other shows. Um, sort of the mid '90s up through like 2013 seemed to be their most like active. Yeah, period. and they actually have a another show coming out here in a little bit. Oh, Ernest Shackleton loves me. Oh, that's the is one. Is that what it is? Yes. Oh, yes, yes I've yes. heard of that actually. Yeah, somebody has. Uh, I, I think I must have heard an interview with her talking about that. Yeah, that's slated for. Um, it's coming out later this year. It came out. It was scheduled to open last year. I guess it did. Touring with the Cindy soundtrack Lofton. for it, I think, is is what is came releasing yeah. right now. That's what sometime. it is. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, I had heard of that, and I did not because I've been in New Mexico in my own <laughs> little you know, desert hideaway. Um, but uh, but I hear that it's. I think that it is Val and Brendan together again but mm-hmm. they have gotten divorced and it seems like this is their last thing together so uh, it's okay. significant oh um, my yes wow and yeah. it seems very kind of similar where they're doing she's doing violin in her apartment and then Ernest Shackleton the <laughs> intrepid and and very dead explorer shows right. up in her apartment <laughs> yeah so little magical Re- realism. recurring themes yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah it's it's a uh, I should also this. I didn't realize quite when I like I say when I first heard it how much of a concert it was, and that led me to the internet to look at pictures. And it really is a show with costumes and props and sets, and like they really do. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it, it depends. There's a there's a video of them performing it online somewhere. Oh, okay. Um, and it is it, it's stripped down. I think that mm-hmm. probably the recording that we hear also is is a stripped down performance that is more straightforward concert as opposed mm-hmm. to concert slash play there's a a lot of dire- i mean like a lot of direct address to the audience right. to the and and sort of mugging for the audience and 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 uh a lot of great jokes about adaptations within adaptations <laughs> and right. sort of going back and forth yeah it's a it, it's it's an odd and a unique thing i shouldn't say an odd thing because odd sort of is a negative connotation but it's a very unique sort of thing listening to it that they they crafted a story that when the stories all do fold into each other kind of at the end, you end up with this, where there were, I guess, where the, what do we call them? The A story, the B story, and the C story. It was kind of the, the hot, when the match girl folds into the main story yeah. and he sort of overtly goes match girling after this uh, light salesman to sort of try to prevent her from, I mean, extrapolating to prevent her from freezing to death on right. Year's Eve, which it does, it's unclear whether she's in any danger of doing I don't, not. I mean, I never took it to be that she was in danger, but yeah. I think that the, the takeaway for him from the story was, let's treat people well. Right, which is good. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's that's the thing you want. And then he goes and he buys all of her lights and yeah. they're going to give them out to people who they think look, look sad. like they need season, have, yeah. have help with seasonal affective disorder. And uh, yeah, it's a, <laughs> I, I like the fact that I was sort of expecting a more 
hoorah kind of ending, you know, where mm. like they go to the party or something. And it's, but it isn't about much in the same way the Christian Anderson story isn't about communal. It's not like Dickens, where it's like right. all of us come together and create a better society. Blah blah blah. It is much more like what are you doing? right now like what are you doing for right. you kind of almost yeah, yeah but to to make the world a better place what is the personal thing you're doing and he's kind of able to there's also all this hints at the beginning where it's like she's kind of cute and she and you sort of that's right. it was sort of like a head fake in that direction but he's like no 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 it's like right to go out and help her business not and overtly romantic and right. it's not overtly you know it's not a ending that that is trying to make you you know the thing about a lot of holiday programming because this is really a holiday show right uh, when it comes down to it is that it's it's got to be it's got to all be warm fuzzies at the end you know and uh and i think that there's a lot of nuance to especially holidays like new year's you know (laughs) like we were talking right where it's not necessarily about the warm fuzzies it's about understanding how to move forward and and also take I think the the thing I really like about it is the the ending being so small, much like the the story, the match little match girl, a very realistic kind of ending. It's a little magical with him buying all of the lights, you know what I mean? Right. But it is much more it doesn't solve all the world's problems, but he affects her. He's like I can affect change here. Right where I see a need and so we'll take this out and then we'll spread this joy of literally like these lights right. but you don't see the effects of that like it's right. not the ending is not them giving lights to everybody and everybody's, and everybody's happy. All of a sudden happy they just right. decide to go give the lights away and then they sing you know the snow song and first day of the year and we're like mm-hmm. we're on our way and it feels a lot more like self-inspiring instead of more like oh everything's fine in that kind of like grand right shiny we've happy. solved all the problems of the world in an hour and a half of musical right which is you know it happens you know we Sometimes. can do that right yeah. we can get that going has the show has this show changed a lot like from the ver- the recorded version to the production you did um there's some there's some changes it's not it's not major stuff there's a new song and uh and some of the dialogue moments and they've just been adapted to make them a little more flexible to whoever's mm-hmm. doing the show because they also don't have a rule about this has to be three musicians a keyboard a drum right. and an electric violin so i saw a production of it in chicago with uh it was a four-person band. I think it was keys, guitar, bass, drums. Mm-hmm. You know, so the guitar sort of filled in the electric violin parts. Okay, but they'll let you do stuff like that with the arrangement, and they'll really let you sort to. of mess with the script in terms of how to play it amongst, present it with right. your new group of people because you can divide up all the different roles in different ways. Yeah, um, I wouldn't want to see this done with too too many people, but you could do it with right. you know six eight and it would be still pretty true to the original concept depending on how you layered it um though there would be small parts each i mean it would be yeah and then there's a ton of changes to the fully like the 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 full cast version instead Mm. of the band version um because you've got songs like give the drummer some and the drummer would theoretically not be an actor anymore right. in that version. Now the next time out's gonna be about the history of Gene. From the minimum wage to the stadium stage and the good parts in between. And the world will know of my big ego and my way with all the chicks. And the hottest girls watch my drumsticks twirl as I play my tasty licks. I don't mean to sound demanding, but we've been off wonder landing. And that grandma pod notwithstanding, 
gotta give the drama some. Yeah, but I'm looking at the, the cast photos on the right, the right's website. Mm. There's like 12, 10 people yeah. in the cast here, and yeah, you could do it. I can also see some nice chances for some vocal arrangements if you wanted to go. Yeah, that way and there are broader, some cool. Yeah, yeah, they fleshed it out a little bit more. Um, yeah, though the vocal arrangements are still pretty cool in the original. Oh, you yeah, know, especially considering they're all playing their instruments. I, I think mm-hmm. of, you know, and they all sing. Right? I mean, they all they're sing all, all throughout though. They yeah. All, yeah. And uh, when we did it, I think that this is how they do it, too, with headsets, so that you do get to act a little bit more because you're not stuck to the mic. Though the keyboard player and the drummer are both stuck to their instruments and can't actually move around the stage. Right. But a violinist can't sing and play violin, can't sing at a traditional microphone and play violin. Right. That would, the sound mix would just become untenable. And I loved sitting into a headset mic on th- at the drums. It was the first time I'd ever tried that mm. because I'd always had go. that stick mic in front of me at the drums right. and, you know, guy, I was used to playing in bands that way right. and uh, it was so liberating to have that headset on. <laughs> let me tell you. How did you set up the stage when you did it with the musicians? Um, we did... I mean, it was it was pretty basic. Uh, but dr- so you were at the back. I was at the back, but not like set far back. Sure. You know, we're in a flattened out triangle. Mm-hmm. Uh, keys stage left, uh, violin stage right, drums center, but recessed a little bit. And then what we did in our production was we had a we had a, a scrim up or a yeah a scrim up in the back, and we had a dancer who yeah. uh, would come out and do this um, modern interpretation of all the little match girl sections of the play oh okay um so she would just appear back there and dance to like some of the more to kind of differentiate the the, Hans the christian anderson from the contemporary exactly action. Okay. to try to try to break that up a little bit as far as i know we're the only ones to do that but we had a uh, uh heather reed who was um part of the company i think she was the master electrician at the time um but she was a fantastic modern dancer oh wow and uh and we said, well, we've got this amazing resource. Let's yeah. find a way to you, use, use it. Use the resource. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. No. Um, yeah. She's now out in Rock Island, Illinois at Circuit 21 Dinner Theater as their stage manager. She oh, does wow. everything. She is Apparently, yeah. yes. I, my gosh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Modern dance master electrician and stage manager. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. Yeah, that's a, that's a neat idea. I like that idea of kind of, of adding that level to the older like the match girl section because he yeah. is reading the story like it's not like i said they don't disguise the theatricality and i yeah i just like how they're not afraid to to put the narrative on hold for a moment right. to do uh, a bit you, you know? have to because it would be like i said before the it show would be, be 20, 20 minutes, minutes long, long. <laughs> right. if you didn't and there but what's so dangerous about that is always that it will get cute right that it can get like a little saccharine or a little winky yeah. And it does a really nice job of sort of skating that mm. line of being like, no, 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 it's not, we're not, we know what we're doing, but we're not like, we're not blowing it up. Now, and I think that's dangerous in production, too, you know oh, what I mean? Sure. Like, because these folks have a great rapport and ha- understand how to how to work the audience like a band does. Yeah, yeah. There's a danger for a group that doesn't know each other and doesn't have that kind of energy that it would get really cutesy and silly. I ha- I haven't listened to any of their other much of their other material. I did flip around a little bit on YouTube to see what I could find, but it it did strike me that this style of performance doesn't seem that different from what they normally did. It just seems yeah. very structured into a story. 
that they feel like a very bantery, loose, like kind of mid nineties mm-hmm. groovy folk kind of thing that was people were doing. Uh, and having seen them live, you, that's true. That's exactly it's very what it much what their what their energy in concert is. They they also had some real pros, theat- theatrical pros, working on this mm-hmm. show. I will say, like uh, Rachel uh, Schenken, who wrote the co wrote the book. Uh, also wrote a show you may have heard of called the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Yeah, I think I've heard of that one. Yeah, and uh, it is uh, the director uh, was Ted Sperling, who directed uh, The Light in the Piazza. Oh, yeah. So these are not friends. Like, they really right. went out and got, like, I mean, they might be friends, but they right. went out and got, like, the people who the really best knew what they were to doing. do this. Yeah, like, yeah. you get somebody who's used to directing, like, a full tilt Broadway musical. And someone who's written, you know, steeped in improv comedy and then wrote the book for a, a very popular, more smaller right. musical, but also a Broadway musical, um, to give you that, like, it, it shows a certain, it shows a wisdom about what they knew what they were doing. And yeah. I think they knew that. Like, well, they're also, you know, they're, they've been in the theater world for a long time in New mm-hmm. York. Uh, they're not just a, ba- you know, a rock band. Right. They, they are performers. They are, they've been writing you know, incidental music for for shows for a long time. Well, that's what I notice in in bands that that are localized. You know, in mm-hmm. a band that is somewhere specific and they're not touring, they're not moving around. You've got to be able to present a dynamic show that people are going to want to see over and over again. Right. You're, instead you're, of just getting up on stage and playing your songs, you're living on repeat business in yeah. a way that your that other bands when they tour. The novelty of them being in town is what is people what, make, draws exactly. people out. Yeah, but if you're always in town, like I can go see whoever, whenever, then yeah, that happens around here a lot. I mean, you mm-hmm. see bands that sort of tour, based in DC, and tour a little, but mainly play. You know, I was going to say Iota, but that's close too. But they play the same sort of venues right. a lot, and you ha- you're right, you have to do that kind of unique bit, and it all comes through in this in this show. This very it feels very them. I really feel like I got to know them as yeah. musicians and as a band. Well, like I don't know any of their last names. I I, <laughs> I, I call them what Val, Brandon, they, and Gene. You, you know, because I feel over? like they're my friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's yeah. It really feels that way. It does feel like your friends are putting on a show for you. Like they're just kind of doing this charming little story. And that's I mean I like art that does that. That makes me feel like it's it's that kind of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, I think of great stand-up comedians, and I you know. If I ran into Eddie Izzard on the street, I would think that he knows me mm-hmm. because I feel like I know him. Yeah. And so he should be able to recognize me walking down the street. Right. But of course. Won't. But he won't. No. Right. Because he's never actually seen you. No. In not person. in real life. <laughs> not in real life. <laughs> Only through the television. Yeah. That is the, I mean, of course. And that's, as we know, the danger of being a famous person. Right. <laughs> is that you do present yourself as a very like likable knowable human who mm-hmm. has intimate connections with total strangers through pieces of plastic so what you know there's no actual connection for you it's all it's all very one sided right. so when you say you like to present shows that have this sort of intimacy about them mm-hmm. with the audience how do you translate that into artistic director of the Santa Fe Playhouse when you're picking seasons or picking artists um that's a great question thank you that's that's my stall for time while Absolutely. I think about the answer. We'll answer. edit out the stalling. It's it's, it's really good. <laughs> well, so what is the? Uh, it's, it's actually, I'm asking that question assuming that everyone knows exactly what an artistic director does. Yeah. And uh, but so maybe we can start with that sort of in the broad strokes. And obviously, artistic director does a lot of things. Right. But what is your as an artistic director? Um, well, as I was told when I was applying for this job. Oh, there you go. The artistic director cleans the toilets. Nice. 
Um, <laughs> and I've been there for five years. The toilets um, are sparkling. The, I actually don't have to clean the toilets, which is wonderful. Uh, I mean, the real job of an artistic director is is our artistic curator. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that's the way I like to describe it because people know essentially what a curator does. Um, I'm picking the shows for the seasons, hiring the artistic staff, uh, helping, you know, advise and uh, and make sure that the art that gets on the stage is is worth seeing mm-hmm. um and you know working with directors sometimes with performers sometimes with designers to just make the show as good as it can be um and then try to maintain the brand uh of of the company in terms of quality and what you expect when you come to see theater at this place um there's this sort of ephemeral thing where I go, oh yeah, that's a playhouse show, or that's not mm-hmm. that's that one doesn't not going to work here, and I can't always put my finger on exactly why those things are true, but it is it is a big part of the job is saying this is how we want to people to think about the playhouse, and this is the art that we want to present, and uh, and then there's the nitty gritty of all of everything else and fundraising and and picking up the slack. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the times the artistic director is the one who keeps the balls in the air that other people might be dropping you mm-hmm. know um sure and you know we have a small staff at the playhouse we only have three employees so we're all picking up balls all the time <laughs> and making sure that they're in the air um but that's the basic that's the basic role of artistic director sure um and, and so is santa fe playhouse the place that does was known for doing shows that like that you like, like this the more intimate shows that you enjoy and that's why you applied or was it uh... you know there wasn't a lot of before i started they had had an artistic director for about nine months and before that it was just run by the board oh okay um and uh one of the reasons that i was brought on was to to make it more professional and uh and and the reputation had gotten kind of hmm inside baseball the, sure. the the board was making all the decisions so a lot of the shows were the shows the board wanted to do or direct you know and that right. kind of thing and then they realized that they had that reputation and decided okay we need to bring somebody in to run this and we need to change the way we're operating here sure. um which kudos to them for figuring yeah. that out yeah yeah and uh so yeah, I can always tell a theater without an artistic director because that's the one where you don't quite know what the quality is going to be from right. show to show to show. It's a pretty, and that was yeah. definitely where, the world we were living in. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was some wonderful stuff there. There always I, is. Yeah. I mean, there's always someone. That's what keeps it alive. Is that right. every now and like they're doing a, a regular. But it was very hit or miss, and right. so uh, and the seasons were very uh, scattered, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and. I like a diverse season, and if you look at the last three years that I've been at the Playhouse, that you'll see that. But I like diversity with, with a sense of, of connectedness. Well, there's a difference between diversity and random. Mm-hmm. I think that often gets kind of overlooked. Yeah, <laughs> like if you, I, I agree. I, mean, I think that if you look at a theater season, ideally, you should be able to go, oh. I see. I just, all those shows kind of go together. Right. They may not. They're not the same show. They're not all written by the same person, but they have this vibe about them. Where you're like, yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. Or at least if you don't know them all, after you see them, you go, right. oh, I got it. I understand I, I why. I understand yep. what's happening. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So when I looked back at the the past seasons, I said, I don't, I don't know what's going to work here. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I looked at the best selling shows of the past few years, which had been Death of a Salesman and 
Mad Woman of Shio and then the oh 39 my. Steps did well. And I was uh-huh. like, I don't know what's going to sell here. This right. Is, uh, you wow. know, um, which was a great thing to do because the first season I just kind of, I threw a lot of strange stuff at the wall and mm. saw what happened. Uh, we got a lot of, um, you know, a, diver- you know, a classic and a, and a, modern drama and a, you know i yeah. tried to keep it within genres uh, yeah. that we would know and understand yeah um but i you know we threw the pillow, pillow man up my first year there because oh, i wow. said i wonder what what would we happen? can do mm-hmm. you know and it went really well i mean the production was fantastic uh it was a little too much for a lot of our audience mm-hmm. we didn't have a lot of people calling and asking for their money back but we did have a lot of folks who couldn't make it through the whole show sure um but i also got as many people saying that's the best thing I've ever seen in Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that so there you go worked out right just fine. Um, and so over the last two years, I've been figuring out how what what works and what doesn't. Um, in terms of answering the question you asked quite a while, yeah. Ago. So let's so then how does that translate into what you enjoy in theater broadly? Well, I love the space at the Playhouse um, because it's a ninety nine seat proscenium theater, mm-hmm. which is. Straight proscenium or slight thrust? No, straight proscenium. And it was a, you know, it was, it's a narrow adobe building from the 1800s. It was a livery stable that was turned into a uh, auto garage and then in the 60s turned into a theater. Wow. Okay. And, uh, but it's small enough that it feels really intimate, even though you're in a traditional proscenium setup, Mm -hmm. which I really like. There are times where I wish that I could break that fourth wall a little bit more so uh and occasionally we have for cabaret this last year we did we took out about six to 12 seats we built a thrust out into the into the audience it was a little bit of a neck crane for the people in the front row (laughs) but Uh, that's a night that's suiting to a kind of nightclub right and uh and we were really able to put it literally in the laps of the people in Mm -hmm. the front it helped it was Mm -hmm. good you know I, i just being able to to bring people in a little further uh, into the world, the I mean, proscenium theater in general, it's it's a little harder to make folks feel like they're part of the action, right? Um, I tend to use the aisles a lot mm. in the theater. Uh, my tech director and is it hates three, me for like that. Three sections, or is there a center aisle? It's just it... uh, it's two aisles on the sides. Okay, and um, then ninety nine in the center. Yep. The fact is that the space is small enough that from the back row. You're still less than twenty feet from the actors, right. you know, like, and and it is intimate, mm-hmm. and you can almost get away with film acting on that stage because they're the people are right there. Mm-hmm. Um, except for volume, you need to be loud. Well, you need to film. be loud. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah, <laughs> but new faces, you can do nuance. And, yeah, 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 and sure. uh, and you know, there's, it, I mean, programming is is allows for certain intimacies or certain you know depending on what the show is it calls for different things but we do tend to do stuff where there's direct address and there's a lot of pulling pulling the audience into the play Mm -hmm. we just devised a holiday show that was all based on people's uh personal experiences and i got these uh it was five women between the ages of 14 and question mark sure um a senior citizen okay um and uh, they all wrote a bunch of. It was a holiday letters. Was the like okay theme? It was called seasoned greetings. And it, there were these moments of just incredible 
intimacy that that these actors wrote for themselves based on their own lives or letters to people that that they knew we had a woman who wrote a uh, a letter to her unborn child mm. um who because she can't get pregnant and i you know i oh wow that that took a turn and and it, you know it was the holiday letter saying how much i wish you were here now doesn't this make you want to exist uh, <laughs> wow and it was just incredibly powerful yeah and, uh and it was you know her standing on stage talking to the audience mm-hmm. and you got to you know that's that's intimacy right there i would say uh, yeah and so yeah i i try to bring that to anything that i work on mm-hmm. um because that's what i find it super engaging when i see theater too mm-hmm. is is seeing someone who's vulnerable and they're in the room with you and you share that moment so the show you're doing now, which is running now currently, the is uh, it's the rest of the world that looks so small, a theatrical mm-hmm. review of Jonathan Colton, uh, which is a great moment for Creative Commons. I want to say a great moment here for Creative Commons licensing that uh, yeah. a nonprofit theater like Flying V can put on uh, Jonathan Colton's music without paying royalties because he licenses his music through Creative Commons. So if you're not making a profit, he's fine. Um, and we've also, you know gotten to talk to him and his people about yeah. all of it you know and it's it's just a he, super great relationship to have with um a, an artist who's got he's very open with his material right but he's also reachable you yeah. know very which is very cool yeah um, it is really cool okay. um this is the show you developed with jason or came up with the idea for anyway a, a little while ago correct? um yeah so jason it was actually when we were working on You or Whatever I Can Get. Mm. Uh, we all came to the table, one of the first meetings of You or Whatever I Can Get, with uh, musical inspiration. You know, mm-hmm. uh, because we also didn't know what You or Whatever I Can Get was going to be. Right. Um, it ended up being a, a book musical with, uh, you know, a linear plot and right. all that stuff. But at the time, we said, I don't know. We, I got into the Fringe Festival for free because I won the Director's <laughs> Award for Disco Jesus. Right. And so we had to write a play. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we thought maybe it would just be another sort of review, an original mm-hmm. review uh, about things kind of relationships that we cared about. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And we ended up writing a whole a whole play. Yeah, set. you did. Yeah. Uh, but we all brought songs to the table and, you know, Jason brought some great 90s emo stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> As one might imagine. Yeah. Uh, everybody brought really cool stuff. There's all but, kinds of influences in the score. I mean, yeah. country to pop to all kinds of, yeah. Um, I I brought in a bunch of Jonathan Colton because in, in my mind it was uh, it's that dorky romance you mm-hmm. know and that's what I really you know that resonates a lot with me and so I think I brought in the song Code Monkey Code Monkey get up get coffee Code Monkey go to job Code Monkey have boring meeting with boring manager Rob Rob say Code Monkey very diligent, but his output stink. His code not functional or elegant. What do Code Monkey think? Code Monkey think maybe manager wanna write goddamn login page himself. Code Monkey not say it out loud. Code Monkey not crazy, just proud. Code Monkey likes Fritos. Code Monkey likes Dallas Mountain Dew. Code monkey, very simple man With big, warm, fuzzy, secret heart Code monkey like you
actually, it's quite, I was gonna say it was his biggest, his most famous song, but it's either that or still alive. This was a triumph. I'm making a note here. Huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction. Aperture science. We do what we must because we can. For the good of all of us, except the ones who are dead. But there's no sense crying over every mistake. You just keep on trying till you run out of cake. And the science gets done, and you make a neat gun for the people who are still alive. I've listened to. I was gonna say literally everything every he thing has recorded. recorded yeah. yeah, and so he's a very prolific artist too. I mean, he came to my attention. I think to a lot of people's attention through his. He had a podcast in two thousand six or seven. Six. Yeah, it was like right was when right the podcast, the podcast started, called yeah. Thing a Week, where he released an original, usually an original song every week for one year. Now some of those he did covers, but they were rearranged covers right. i mean he didn't just do straight covers i think that's code monkey came from code there monkey too. came from that was the breakout for that i think probably half of our show that we're doing right now is stuff that came out during the week, week. Mm-hmm. um and so you developed so you brought jonathan colton to the table you say so yeah right? i brought yeah. i brought a few songs i was like i like the i like the feel of these things i feel like they're really theatrical and in that moment jason was like oh we should just do a jonathan colton review <laughs> and we let it go and we wrote a play and right. everybody you know we we really are proud of that and yeah, then yeah. when that was over it was like okay well let's talk about this i yeah. think it's a good idea we are not the first people to do this right um there have been a few other the more uh jukebox musicals than review yeah uh which it's really hard to try to string his stuff together with a plot because he's got characters that are sea monsters and mad scientists and planets. Yeah. Or it's thematically linked. Right. More than, uh, more than it's hard to, yeah. How do you walking around doing stuff? Right. Yeah. And then like random office employee. You know, right. the, 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 that's the really tricky thing is you couldn't, trying to string them together with a linear plot. It's very difficult, and I know people have accomplished it, but uh, we didn't want to go there. We wanted to have more of a thematic and emotional arc for mm. the show. Um, so uh, that's how it came to the table. And mm. then for the last two years, really, uh, Jason and I have been meeting uh, over you know, video chat right. to talk about songs. We'd listen to a few songs every week talk through um say if we were interested in putting them in the show etc uh we got a tentative set list uh and then we started rehearsal and we asked everybody in the cast to bring in a song mm. and everybody in the cast brought in our song that resonated with them and some of them were amazing and had never been on our list and we said oh no yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and so it's really been it's been a process of of creating a a show that feels complete mm-hmm. without having a plot right and uh and trying to incorporate everybody's thoughts mm-hmm. you know from a from a devising standpoint um and it's great it, it's really exciting they're singing harmony and fighting and running around it, it, it's amazing 
Um, I really appreciate this cast and how hard they are working on this. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see the show, uh, which by the time this comes out, I will have seen it. it, it it's such an interesting, because like, it lends itself to theatricality in a very, yeah. very natural way. I do want to swing us right, I love all this. I want to swing us right back to Striking 12. As we Perfect. Kind of wrap up. Um, and just ask a simple question I usually ask. What's your favorite uh, song? Oh, what's my favorite song? I, uh, I really enjoy... I mean, obviously, I like the drummer's songs uh, oh, in naturally. the show. Screwed Up People Make Great Art, I even I used as an audition song for a while because I just think it's it's, it's fun. Song. I was really struck by, is it Last Day of the Year? There's a song early on, which I think is a really good setup for kind of what you're going to hear, mm-hmm. even though it's the only song that goes this way, where the lyrics don't rhyme, but they're all inversions right. of previous lines. I'm almost done, now I have done it. tells you kind of everything you need to know about the character right. in a really nice way when he finally leaves work and goes home. And musically, it's a really interesting song. Yeah. So it's in 7-4. Ooh. Um, okay. And the, I mean, ha- having played the drums for this, you're singing backing vocals while playing drums in 7-4. Oh, and my gosh. It, you know, like, these yeah. people are really good. Yeah. <laughs> That's a time signature I don't think I've ever seen yeah. on a page. Yeah. I've only seen 5-4 because of uh, of Dave Brubeck. But, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, and I've seen 7-8 a lot. Yeah. Um, but a, I, that's an Angel Lloyd Webber favorite. Right. 7-8, yeah. Um, but this one's in 7-4. Seven, 7-4. Four. Seven, four. Yeah. That would intimidate the crap out of it's me. It's almost mixed meter. It's almost a measure of 4-4 four, four measure. I was going to say four. a measure of 3-4, like, yeah. It's, it's, it's really how it feels. It's like a modulated waltz, yeah. It's like you're just missing a beat every time. Right. But it gives you this... I mean, it, it, well, it puts you in the mood for the show, yeah. too, because he's talking about how burned out he is from work. Right. And every measure is missing a beat. And you're like, oh, where that would be? It does go? feel, it gives it, <laughs> it has this kind of sway to it as I'm swaying back and forth. Yeah. I see what you also can't see. But it does have this kind of like, I say funk, but it's more of a lumbery funk. It, it doesn't, yeah, it, it's kind of a clumsy drive. And yeah. I like, I, I did really, I remember feeling like, I know what kind of show I'm going to be seeing now. Yeah. Like, it's not going to be very straightforward it's going to be kind of an, the, the the songs might be a little bit off and the lyrics might not quite run but it's all going somewhere right. and that's and then that i think is probably you could actually correct me having known the music but it feels like that's the weirdest song rhythmically in yeah the piece. Is i that think correct? so probably which is good but it there are some other moments later where things get kind of janky or things get switched and right move around and it's a really smart idea to put that song at the top and like we're never going to get weirder than this. But <laughs> right. it's going to get weird. So just get ready for things to be a little bit yeah, unusual. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's I think the musicianship on this album is is great. Right. Yeah, especially it, considering they're all singing and moving as right. they're playing. It's it's really quite unbelievable. Um, there's also, uh, in Screwed Up People Make Great Art, uh, that drummer groove is this like bossa nova Latin mm-hmm. thing that is so many parts of your brain working together <laughs> to play that rhythm uh you know the right hand the right foot the and all of the appendages doing separate things right at the same time and he sings lead on that song right and i 
tried. <laughs> you know, like I worked hard on that, but I never got it. Um, but everybody's got some good songs. I forgot yeah. the drummer sang "Screwed Up People Make Good Art" because, of course, he did because there's only three actors, and he's it's the guy on the phone, the Hans right. Christian Anderson expert, singing to his friend on the phone. Right after he calls him, I <laughs> love- yell at him about the ending of the story. <laughs> I, you know, and I love how unapologetic it is about the the dramatic leaps that this show takes, too. Yeah. You know, like they call the guy up at the party and he says, oh, I'll tell you how it ends. I took that course. In, right. In, uh, <laughs> in college. What, or Dutch or literature. I don't right. Or whatever what. it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's nice that that pays off. I mean, that's good book writing to me is that there's this joke there that is just kind of tossed out as a right. as an off ramp where you can be like, if we go this way, the show's over. So right. we're obviously not going to go that way. Isn't it funny that we have this off ramp? But then to give him the opportunity to come back again and, and pay like, off the joke. Yeah, like yeah. I have some questions about Hans Christian Anderson, and hey, I have an expert available. We just learned that piece <laughs> right. of information, and I can call him. It also is a nice joke when he calls, like, "Oh, you're finished. You're coming to the party. I have some questions." Oh God, <laughs> right? You just feel him put his head down. Well, this is great, Vaughn. Thank yeah. you so much for nice coming. Talking to so, you. what else is coming up at Santa Fe? You got obviously right now Silver Spring Black Box. You can go see. It's the rest of the world that looks so small. Yeah, that's with Flying V Theater Flying Company. Flying V Theater Company, and uh, more information at flyingvtheater.com. But uh, so, what are, what else is coming up for the rest of the season at the Santa Fe? Uh, well, our season officially opens at the end of February. Um, we've got a, a diverse season, like I like to do. All we're right. doing uh, Boeing, Boeing. <laughs> um, we're doing uh, Talking With by Jane Martin, which is a monologue play. Eleven women. All these really interesting monologues. Uh, doing a brand new play called Flight Plan, which is written by a local author. It's a it's a comedy about mental illness, and it's based on this woman's personal experience in a uh, in an uh, institution. Oh wow! And uh, it's sort of this comedy cuckoo's nest thing, and it's very interesting and cool. We're developing that right now. Uh, we're doing uh, Rocky Horror. Oh, nice! Uh, we're doing <laughs> the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Wow. Going to be scaling that down a little bit. A little bit. Well, I'm excited fun. to actually it's make a great it a little script. more intimate. I, I, I would be excited to see it. I saw it on Broadway. I would mm-hmm. be excited to see it done that way mm-hmm. because it it, uh, it it's a very good script. And I think you can, I mean, the, the, the technical aspects of the West End and Broadway production right, are, are astonishing. Ridiculous. But you could absolutely do it without right. them. And yeah. we're going to do, you know, our own little creative tricks and things oh, sure. that we can get away with in right. our little, little theater. But uh, it's. Uh, I'm really excited about that one. Our director has, uh, is also a choreographer and is going to do oh, doing a lot of movement oh, stuff cool. with yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. I'm really pumped about that play. one. And then uh, we have our uh, the Fiesta Melodrama, which is a tradition, a Santa Fe tradition, dating back to 1919. Oh, my. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, this is the 99th year of the Fiesta Melodrama. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Uh, we have a new play festival in october and then we close the season with importance of being earnest so yeah we're gonna have we're gonna have a lot of fun with it it's uh last season was a lot of heavy heavy stuff and i wanted to lighten it up a little bit you Mm -hmm. know still have issues you know start start conversations but we did 1984 and the normal heart and uh there was another one that was very sad and we all felt like it was time to lighten up. Yeah, lighten up a little. Yeah, bit. I'd say. Was yeah. it? Uh, what's the one about the parents and the kid dies? The one the Pulitzer. Um, oh, it, yeah. That was the. They made it the movie with uh, Nicole Kidman and John Cameron Mitchell directed, and the the show is called 
rabbit hole. Yes. Uh, we're, we're not, not doing that. But you're not doing <laughs> The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts from the convenience of your iPhone and or check out the original cast on Stitcher if that's how you get down. Well, thanks to Vaughn Irving for coming down and talking to me today. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Rehearsal.